Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. We will start to preview Giants-Panthers. We'll give you the latest injury news, and we'll get to your phone calls at 201-939-4513. You can tweet at us, hashtag Giants Chat. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. All right, Paul, so let's start on the injury front. There were a number of players listed on the injury report on Wednesday not participating. Connor Barwin, Evan Ingram, Damon Harrison, Sterling Shepard, Limited, Eli Apple, Antonio Hamilton, Cody Latimer, and Olivier Vernon. The good news, all of those players that I just listed were warming up when the media went out to at least observe the early stages of practice today. Exactly. And the only one who looked as though he wasn't going to do much of anything except with the trainers on the side was Ingram, who was coming off of that sprained MCL. He missed the Saints game. We've all heard two to four weeks, so it's not a surprise that he would not be working in positional drills like all of the other guys were today. Uh, Sterling Shepard said pretty much he believes he's going to play Sunday after coming off of that cyst that removed was removed from his back. Coach Shermer seconded that notion. Yeah. Olivier Vernon said he is hopeful and he's looking forward to Sunday, but again, he needs to prove to himself that he can cut on the sprained ankle and he needs to prove to the trainers that he can cut on that sprained ankle. So I said to him, you're thinking game time decision? He goes, I'm, I'm hopeful. He goes, I'm looking forward to it, but we're going to have to go day to day and see how it goes. So kind of a thumbs up from him, but not really yet. Uh, and then obviously uh, Eli Apple, who seems to be doing more and more as the days go on off of his strained groin, I would say all systems are go for him. Yeah, I would agree with you. I sense optimism for those two players, and particularly Vernon Apple, compared to what we were hearing from Pat Shermer and the coaching staff in previous weeks. And Pat Shermer addressed the media earlier today, and he seemed to indicate that they took part, those two particular players, Paul, in team drills yesterday. He figured that the participation level would be the same here on Thursday, and that using your phrase, all systems go, or at least close to that. Apple certainly, perhaps a little bit ahead of Vernon, but Vernon over the last few weeks, Paul, to be fair, has kept a lot of things close to his vest in terms of what he was willing to reveal to the media. I will say this, from hearing him talk with the media in the locker room, I think we made progression from that standpoint because in weeks prior, he would always say, you got to talk to the head coach. You got to talk to Pat Shermer. He was actually willing to go on the record and talk about himself for once compared to previous Thursdays? Well, look, let's not kid ourselves. Folks, for those of you who are not aware, it is within the coach's prerogative to find a player for violating team policy. And one of the things that can come under team policy is the discussion of specific injuries. Because teams want to, and justifiably so, allow all injury information to flow through the head coach. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Uh, my take on it always has been when a guy's hurt, you watch, you see what you see, what you can glean from practice, uh, what you can see in the warm-ups, uh, watch him in his movements, his demeanor, his body language, and then, of course, ask him about what he was able to do. Even if he can't tell you specifically what the injury is or if he's going to play or not, you can always say to him, well, we understood you were limited at practice yesterday. What were you able to do? That, that gives you some sense of an idea. And then when you put those pieces together, then you can make an educated guess as to whether or not you think there's a decent chance that the guy will play. I think that's what we're doing with Vernon right now. Yeah. It does seem to me that the tea leaves are pointing more in the direction he will play than he won't. 
but no one is going to say right now that he's going to play. And I For know sure. listening to some of the Carolina Panthers players and coaches talk, they seem to be well-prepared for his return to the field, given what they're at least reading between the tea leaves using your terminology and the scouting report of the New York Giants. So positive, optimistic in terms of Olivier Vernon. Time will tell, obviously, between Friday as well as Sunday, but things certainly looking up. All right, let's get into the matchup before we open up the phone lines. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants chat. And this is a Carolina team that... Only has played three games, Paul. They're coming off a very early season bye. So this is their first week back after they were able to basically self-scout from a small sample size of games. And, and this is a team, and it's not necessarily anything new that the Giants haven't seen this season, but the emphasis on stopping the run to me, Paul, has to be the utmost priority in a game like this because you're not just worried about the mobile quarterback, which we've seen the Giants have trouble with in previous weeks, and Cam is much bigger than some of these other quarterbacks they've seen, but you also have Christian McCaffrey and C.J. Anderson, and the combination of all three of them is the big reason why the Panthers are actually number one in rushing yards per game. Now, small sample size, but if you let Carolina get go on the ground, then it's going to be a very long afternoon because they're going to be in manageable first, second, and third downs, and it's going to be very hard to get their offense off the field. Well, understand this. The Panthers are running the ball 47% of the time, which is the third highest percentage in the National Football League. They are a heavy, heavy, heavy run team. And in fact, talking to some of the Giants defenders this week, they're of the opinion that when Cam is running the, the read option, the, the zone read, uh, it looks to them like 70% of the time it's because he's going to run the ball. That's part of the strategy. You know, they will run that more than anybody else in the league, and he will personally keep the ball more than any other quarterback in the league. And, of course, he feels he can do that, and the Panthers feel he can do that because physically he's – about as big as any other quarterback in the league. He's bigger than most running backs. He's bigger than a lot of tight ends. He's bigger than a ton of linebackers. He's even bigger physically in stature and strength and size than many defensive ends in this league today. So I understand why they believe his durability would not be as much in jeopardy as some of these other guys who will run that kind of play. Because normally you don't want to expose your quarterback to all those extra hits, to your point, Paul, because you're worried the wear and tear Hence over RG3. the course of the season is going to come back to bite you. Correct, RG3 and what happened with him. But with Cam and North Turner is now the new offensive coordinator taking over from Mike Shula, who is now taking the same role with the Giants, that they're content and they're fine with him taking some of those hits because they feel he is so big that it's a challenge for most linebackers and defenders to bring him down. So between the combination of Christian McCaffrey and his elusiveness and Cam, they feel they have a nice one-two punch there. Now, many years ago when RG3 first kind of brought the read option into vogue as far as the NFL was concerned, and I've said this on this show before, and if you rewind it back to the archive, what was it, five years ago, whenever it was. That's a lot I, of archives, I, by the way. I said it then, and I've said it since. Make every single one of those quarterbacks pay for running those plays. What you do is— In a legal way, by the in way. In a legal yes. way. You make sure that you stick a hat on that quarterback, and every time he runs the read option, you legally hit him every single time time and if you do that sooner or later 
if they don't stop running it, they will at least be a little bit queasy, timid, and less than assertive in doing so. And that will hurt the effectiveness of the play. And James Betcher spoke to the media earlier today, and one of the things he pointed out about this defense, he's always been encouraged by the fight of the group and how the group he feels has been adapting to the system. But the one thing he did highlight this week, and we haven't necessarily heard him talk about it because, you know, normally the focus has been on getting the sack numbers up, getting the quarterback hits. But, you know, he feels they got to clean things up in terms of stopping the run, Paul, especially after a week in which you can argue you take out three of Alvin Kamara's runs. The numbers are not terrible. But, listen, those three runs still exist. And they came at key times in the contest where the Saints were able to solidify the victory. Well, the last run was 40-plus yards for the touchdown. That would have put him, well, he finished with like 130-something yards. He did, yeah. So he wouldn't have even had 100 yards rushing in the game had he not broken that, that one at the run. end, yeah. which, by the way, included a missed tackle. I won't, well, all right, 35, Curtis Riley. Included a missed tackle. Uh, and at that point, the Giants were selling out, flooding the line of scrimmage, the gap opened, he shot through it, and he was gone. They were also quite gassed at that point in the game as well. So, I I mean, I know it happened. The stats exist, but I'm with Betcher on that. That's kind of an empty stat in terms of that last run. I think they have done an adequate job against the run, and I've said this. I said it on yesterday's show, and I'll say it again. Right now, the Giants are in the middle of the pack defensively. I think there was something like 15th or 16th 12th in the NFL. 12th overall in total defense. Oh, in points, though, I think they're 16th. In points per game, they're 16th. Correct, okay. 24 a game. And in yardage, they're 12th. Yardage, they're okay. 12th. Yeah. Who, who in their right mind would complain about that after they were in the basement last season? No, of course, you you'll can't. take that. Yeah. This defense you. has clearly been a competitive defense, this Giants defense. They are competitive. They are good enough to be at least in the wild-card caliber conversation with the kind of defense that they have played to this point. And they've done it without Olivier Vernon, who was supposedly their most dangerous pass rusher. And arguably their second-best corner being out for the last two games, too. Okay, so... so you haven't been 100% full force. You know, that's a very, very strong piece of optimism if you want to move forward. The problem is... Not only is the offense, you know, not running on all cylinders right now, but the special teams unit is not giving this team any field position to work with whatsoever. They're having trouble fielding kickoffs. They're having trouble fielding punts. They're not getting any return yardage. So the field is constantly tilted against the offense. And all of these people who want to throw darts at Eli Manning, what they don't understand because they don't peel back the layers of the onion, is that when you are constantly working upfield because the field has been tilted by the other team, it changes the different chapters in the playbook that you will call from. It also changes the way that the defense will scheme you. That's just the facts, folks. So special teams has done a lot to hamstring this offense to this point in the season. I'm not excusing the fact that they haven't taken as many deep shots or beaten man-on-man kind of coverage when they need to. I'm not excusing the fact that Eli's missed a few guys or the fact that the running blocking has not been as consistent as it needs to be. But I'm telling you, if they could at least get better field position for once, it might help out some of these other areas. 
Well, especially since this team has had trouble putting together 70, 80-yard drives consistently, Paul, and also, by the way, punching it in the end zone. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you're not giving them gifts. You're not trying to change the field with your special teams. You're expecting every single possession to have to go 75 to 80 yards. And, you know, what have we been talking about that's been holding this offense back? Well, penalties, drop passes, mental mistakes have pushed them back. Now you have no leeway to be pushed back if you already are starting to drive deep in your own territory. So that's why they really need a spark plug from special teams. I even emphasized that on Tuesday, so I wholeheartedly agree with you. And if, you know, it's a return, if it's a turnover, I mean, think about the Saints, Paul. Fourth and two, you have an opportunity to get them off the field. And all of a sudden, they dig deep into their bag of tricks, they fake the punt. That extended a drive and gave the Saints essentially an additional possession. And at bats is key now for the Giants because if you're not putting together lengthy drives and scoring, you want more opportunities to at least have an attempt to do that. Now, it didn't go down in the game book as such, but you're right. That was an additional possession which gave them 11 possessions for the game. Yeah. What did I tell you the magic number was on the pregame show? 10 possessions or less for Drew Brees and the Giants had a 50-50 chance of winning the game. If they could hold them to 9, they had a good chance of winning the game. Well, what happened? Because of the fake punt, special teams on a breakdown allowed Breeze 11 possessions. That was going to be too much for the Giants to overcome. They were not going to hold the Saints under 30 points on 11 possessions. They could have on 10 possessions or less. Let me give you a number, folks. The Giants' average drive length is 31 and a half yards per drive. Okay? That is 20th in the National Football League. The average drive in the NFL is 32 yards per drive. So they're just a tiny fraction under what the average NFL offense will do with the ball per possession. They're right there within within a football length. So that's not so terrible. But when you're starting drives on an average inside your own 25, you do the math. That's going to get you to the other team's 45. Yeah. And Guess what? You'll need a robot to even try a field goal <laughs> if you get to the yeah. other team's 45-yard line. Okay? That right there, folks, is a big problem that most people have ignored. And you're not beating teams with field goals regardless of whether you're getting no. into field goal range. This team needs touchdowns. Let's face it. On that subject, here is one of the most interesting statistics I found while studying up on the Carolina Panthers, Paul. I was blown away by this. Their red zone defense, did you see what Carolina has done when teams have gone up against them in the red zone? Opponents are 7 of 7 in the red zone against Mm -hmm. the Carolina Panthers. That's dead last in the National Football League. Now, that's a gift right now if you're the New York Giants because it's not as if the Giants have struggled in the red zone themselves. I mean, they've scored touchdowns 55% of the time. That's not horrendous. I'm not saying it's great, but... This is the game where if you can actually get into position to knock on the door, you figure maybe this is the game where you actually don't have to settle for three points and you punch it in because trading field goals is just not going to do it in the National Football League, especially with this team. I know we want to get the calls, but as long as you're talking about Carolina's defense, I want to give you three significant stats. Two are very negative for the Giants. One could be very positive. Carolina's defense, well, in terms of when they're playing the opposition in the three games they've played, they're only allowing the opponent's average start to be the 23-and-a-half-yard line. 
which is the second best of all teams in the NFL. So if you get it, the Giants are the fourth worst in average start, and Carolina's defense is the second best in average start. That tells you the Giants are probably not going to get good field position in this game, and they'll be climbing uphill all day long. That's a very bad combination. Number two, Carolina's defense is only allowing 4.6 yards after the catch this year. That is the third most stingiest defense in the league, which means your dinks and your dunks and your short to medium range passes, they're short tacklers. Their umbrella, their umbrella tacklers are doing the job of containing people. You're not going to get the little five-yard pass that's going to turn into a 35-yard juke by Odell Beckham Jr. So the Giants need to take shots down the field in this game. Where Eli Manning was saying, we can get a 50-yard pass play, but we don't have to throw the ball 50 yards. Against this defense, you probably do. Okay? Now I give you another stat which favors the Giants. Carolina has blitzed on 25 passing plays during the course of the season. They've given up 20 completions on those 25 passing plays. Had four sacks and also allowed three touchdowns on those passing plays. So their blitz has actually worked against them more often than not. Quarterbacks have the second best rating against the Carolina Blitz in the National Football League. That could be a very big positive for Eli. Though you wonder if you're Carolina, do you change things up a bit knowing that the Giants haven't been great in those explosive plays? Are you going to be as aggressive or are you going to say, hey, we're just going to make sure we keep everybody in front of us like we saw Dallas do, like we saw New Orleans do? And the other thing I'll say is I'm not surprised that they're not giving up much yardage after the catch, Paul, because I see a similarity in what Jacksonville and Dallas showcase, and that's stellar linebacker play for the Carolina Panthers. And when you have great linebackers that are good in coverage and are very good tacklers, you're not going to give a lot after the initial hit. And when you've got Luke Keekley as well as Shaq Thompson and David Mayo, their other linebackers, no slouch, you know, that's a big reason why Carolina is such a well-disciplined defense. You can argue their pass rush may not be as explosive as we've seen in previous years because they don't have, you know, all those big workhorses. But their linebackers, I think, are very strong and about as strong of a unit you're going to find in the NFL. And that, to me, is why we haven't seen a lot of yardage after the initial catch out of Carolina. Well, I will tell you this. Here's a very interesting number as well for the Giants' offense. When teams run behind right tackle or to the right edge against the Panthers this season, 24 attempts for 199 yards, an 8.2-yard per carry average. They have been gashed when teams run behind right tackle out to the sideline. Interesting. Eight yards a carry. Could you imagine getting Barkley over there with his jukes? This would be this would be a good week for Saquon Barkley to start making people miss because if he can get out there to that edge you got to feel there's a lot of real estate to be had. Well, and that's the side that they utilize Julius Peppers on. Just thinking about the Carolina Panthers Who, defensive Who, by the way, alignment. is now simply an older, pass-rush-only defensive end. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's 38 years old. It's understandable. Though, with that being said, the fact that Peppers has lasted this long from a durability standpoint. He's a Hall of Famer. And also playing at a high he's level. A Hall of Famer. Deserves a whole lot of credit. He's yeah. a Hall of Famer. Yeah. But run at him. 
Yeah, because he's excellent at still getting to the quarterback, but teams are obviously taking advantage of the fact that he's not necessarily as effective as a run stopper. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes throughout the season. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here. Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Getting you set for Panthers-Giants on Sunday. Also going over the latest team news. Now let's hear from you. Chris in Alamucci is on the line. Chris, what's happening? Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call, Paul and Lance. Appreciate it. Sure you got thing. It, Chris. What's on your mind? Yeah, guys, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about – let me just want to go back a little bit to 2011. Back in 2011, the Giants running game was, was ranked 31st, I believe, in the league. Yeah. And you had, you had Cruz, you had Knicks, um, you had Manningham, and you had Jake Ballard. Back then, the Giants – you know, that, that season, as I remember, Eli carried that team quite a bit. Sure did. Great stats that whole year. A lot of games was on yeah, his shoulders. Yeah, he threw, and he threw, through. and then threw some more. That season. Except yeah, yeah, for the stretch. Exactly. Except for the stretch. My, my question, okay, before my, you go any further, just to make sure you got this right, down the stretch run and into the playoffs, they were very good at situational running, which allowed yes. them to move the chains, and that was kind of a, a late a late blossoming of their offense, which allowed them some more balance, allowed them more control of time of possession, and that in combination with Eli throwing the ball allowed them to win a Super Bowl. And the other thing, Chris, we'll let you continue. The other thing that's important to note about that 2011 season, they played from behind an awful Mm -hmm. lot. And that's a reason why Eli threw so much and his numbers jumped off the page because it was based on game situation. I remember that Arizona game early in the season (laughs) when Victor Cruz, remember the controversy, was he down, was he not? Did they went down like 14 nothing in that game in the blink of an eye. So right. Eli was forced to throw because of game circumstances a lot. But go ahead, Chris. Yeah, yeah no, I, I remember that with the fumble, sure. But my question is, now if you connect that team to this team in terms of the passing game, you got to think with our passing game, it's just, it's just as potent as it was then. Is it just a matter of Eli now not having the time back there to not break through that deep, that deep, uh, that soft zone cover two. That's my question. Is this cover two this, that's happening now, all these teams are, are using against the Giants, is it that much different than what they were probably doing in 2011 when the Giants couldn't run the ball? Well, a couple of things. First of all, that offensive line was a better pass-protecting offensive line than the one he is working with right now. The other situation you have to remember is that Kevin Gilbride was the offensive coordinator. Different scheme. Kevin right. believed in attacking He believed in using vertical threats. If I had Kevin on the phone right now, he would tell you, I need to take at least a half a dozen deep shots a game. That's just part of his DNA. That was his mentality as an offensive coordinator. Again, I've told people this a lot in the last week. There are many ways to skin a cat, and there are many offenses that have been effective and won games and moved the ball down the field and scored points by taking what the defense will give you. That's, that's an acceptable philosophy in this league. There's also another philosophy that says we're going to take what we want, and we have guys who will beat your guys man-to-man. Forget about the percentages. Forget about what the numbers and the analytics say, but are guys going to beat your guy, and we're taking the yards, and we're taking the points, and we're just going to do it. And tough, try to stop us. That's, that's the other mentality. I Well, being Italian, which side do you think I come from? <laughs> You know what I mean? So yeah. so right now, the Giants, you've listened to Coach Shermer, you've listened to Eli Manning, you've listened to the receivers. They have been playing with the philosophy of we're going to take what they're giving us. And to this point, they're 1-3, and three, and the offense 
has sputtered. I would like to believe that there'll be some adjustments made sooner rather than later that maybe they will flip the page and start to take what they want. And and the last thing is, um, with Ingram being out, is that going to play into this probably even being less of taking those shots because now you don't really have that dynamic tight end going down the seam? That well, I don't two. know if it's going to be less taking the shots. I just think that it completely changes the philosophy of an opposing defensive coordinator yeah. because now it's one less weapon that you have to be worried about. If you're Carolina, you're Eric Washington, the defensive coordinator, if the Giants are at full health, you're identifying, okay, this week we got to worry about Beckham, we got to worry about Barkley, we got to worry about Ingram. And then, you know, you can't overlook Shepard with his ability. So now you take Ingram off the field, now as a defensive coordinator – okay, I can now divvy up what I want to do with those three weapons as opposed to four. So I don't think it limits the amount of shots, Chris. I just think that it completely gives defenses more flexibility in terms of how they shift their personnel around. You know what I would like to do about that? I'd like to send Barkley upfield on more pass routes because right now most of the stuff that he's catching is at or behind the line of scrimmage or only a few yards beyond it. And to me... I think defense would, would be very scared if Barkley starts running 10 and 12 and 15-yard routes downfield. There's not a linebacker in this league that can keep up with him. Well, the Houston Texans game at the end where he caught that third what'd you, down. What'd you see? He got matched up with a linebacker. And they had no chance. Yeah, so I could see that. Though I will say this, Paul, this is not the game that I love the matchup to give Barkley a huge advantage on the linebackers. I personally think guys like Luke Keekley and Shaq Thompson are pretty good in coverage. I'd rather see him get the yardage through running plays than I would passing plays, but I would run some of those, again, to keep the defense honest so they can't totally cheat in in the ways that you're saying without Ingram. You know, give them another threat downfield to worry about. That's fair. I know I keep saying last thing, but what I'd like to see is they come in with a double tight end and then they motion Barkley out to the slot and get him hooked up on that linebacker. Fine. And we've seen the Giants run a lot more double tight end this year than they had under Coach Ben McAdoo. And I'm thrilled about that because I like the double tight end formation. We even saw Spencer Pulley being the second tight end last week, the former Chargers lineman who was, uh, you know, lining up a lot because Ingram is out. So they figure, okay. Uh, you know, he's got some beef, and he can help block a little bit. So. And then Scott Simonson got a catch, too, last week. He did. Week. So, you know, he, he and Red Ellison now are primarily the top two tight ends. And then Garrett Dickerson, who they brought up for the practice squad, we'll see if he gets more and more playing time. We're going to let you go on that note, Chris. Thanks so much for yeah, thanks, playing guys. in. Yeah, Good stuff. Thank you. But clearly, you know, favorable matchups is the way that the Giants need to go moving forward. Because if you're not getting those explosive, pl- explosive plays, then what you want to do is you want to look at Carolina and you want to say, okay— to your point, Paul, we line up Barkley on the outside or we move Shepard in the slot and we figure we get him on a good matchup with a corner. You know, those are the types of ways that you can maybe circumvent what you're not getting by just typically running your offense and moving personnel around. I just, like I said, you always need to look at the opposition. This Carolina defense is a well-disciplined defense. I'm not saying that their secondary is a star-studded group, even though it looks like, by the way, They're going to play Eric Reed this week, who they just signed as a free agent, the former San Francisco 49er safety. They expect, from what I've heard out of Carolina, he came, joined the team late last week during the bye week, stayed late. They expect him to play a prominent role in this game. So I would expect to see him line up more often than not as the safety, and that helps their secondary out immensely, considering they've lost a few guys. Yeah, but see, the Giants are only 
throwing the ball. Well, only throwing. They're only running the ball a third of the time right now. This is a Carolina defense that is giving up, let me look at the number, 4.9 yards per carry. And I just told you what happens when teams run behind right tackle. tackle. This has got to be a game, you know, where Eli's only throwing the ball 30 times max, 32 times max. If Eli Manning throws the ball 41 times against Carolina on Sunday, that's to the Panthers' advantage. Well, I would say that's to the advantage of most teams, Paul. The breakdown in the last game against the Saints was 44 pass plays and 15 runs. Terrible. That 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 you're not going to win that way. That can't be. Yeah. So whether it's Carolina, whether it's New Orleans, whether it's Houston, you know, nobody's saying that you have to run 40 times and only throw 15, but you want balance. And the way you go about balance is. The defense keeps you in the game, and you stay competitive. Now, if you look back at that Saints game, Paul, I would make the argument it's 19-10, okay? It's not a lopsided game. It, no, it wasn't a game that was called not. for 44 passes and 15 runs. They were in that game. They were absolutely in that game. But, again, teams that are in the middle of the pack, that quick sand of mediocrity, all you need is a ball bouncing the right way or the wrong way, or a couple of officials' calls or non-calls, and it will tip the scales one way or another. And the problem is, when you are one of those mediocre teams in the league, you're subjected to those things that are out of your control. Only the really good teams that are in that top part of the NFL can overcome that stuff and still win. That's what separates the really good teams from the rest of the mediocre folks who are drowning in quicksand. And, and that's, that's the parody that everybody seems to love and embrace uh, in, in today's game. I've, I don't think that's really great myself. Personally, I don't think that's great. Well, you've got a bunch of mediocre teams that are going to win and lose games based on bounces of a ball, tip balls, and officials' calls or non-calls. That's not cool to me. I'd rather see games won by the players on the field as opposed to happenstance. Well, I look at it more of a reflection. A lot of teams are close in terms of competitiveness and talent. And those little things, to your point, Paul, is what separates the men from the boys. Now, here's a perfect example that you're talking about. Let's go back to the Saints game, and we'll get back to your phone calls here in a second. We were talking about special teams and why special teams is so important for this team, especially if you start off below water, especially throughout these course of the games. What I mean is you're already behind the eight ball. You need to find ways to overcome your issues. Well, The Saints special teams, Paul, put the football on the floor, on the ground, two times. Two opportunities to change field position, give your offense a gift. Two opportunities in which the Giants could not take advantage of. The bounce did not go their way. That's out of their control. But those are the things that this team needs now. I'm not saying that the Giants didn't make an effort to go after. It's just those are the bounces you need. And they don't need a kickoff returner taking the ball out of his end zone to the 15. Exactly. Now, what Pat Shermer did mention is, and you know, this goes back to youth and the lack of experience. Joel Davis, who was just promoted from the practice squad, was with the team during training camp. You get called up, and I understand what Pat Shermer was saying. You get called up, you're itching, you got to put something on film, Paul. Yes. You want to make a play. The problem is your energy, your itchiness to do something doesn't necessarily fall in line with what is good for the well-being of the team. And those things sometimes counter one another, and you get into circumstances like that. But yeah, special teams has to be the clean facet of this team. It can't be the question mark of this team because they need that area to either do nothing 
and not hurt the team or give them an advantage. And the Brandon Tate bounce where it goes off his chest, off a of Ray Armstrong, back into his chest was remarkable. But then let's not forget, the Giants are within eight, Paul. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ted Ginn, who is a mm-hmm. very good special teams player. Now you get a veteran. I mean, Brandon Tate's a veteran too, but he just rejoined the team. And Ginn puts the ball on the floor. Then it takes him a moment to search for the ball and then he has the opportunity to regain the football. To Ridiculous. And then the Saints obviously go on that lengthy drive. So, you know, those are the things you want to be able to capitalize yeah, on. And how about this, by the way? Special teams, we know the return game has been just just really, really poor. How about the fact that Aldrich Rosas has been outstanding Perfect. kicking the ball? His kickoffs have been terrific. They've used strategy on some of their kickoffs to be shorter when, when asked for. He's done that. He's put the ball through the end zone when asked to do. He has nailed every single one of his PATs and field goals. That's a guy who, for most of the offseason, we fielded a ton of calls. People were not very confident in him. I remember Jeff Fiegels and I taking a lot of calls saying, give this kid another chance. He's He's got talent. Don't throw him out with, with the bathwater. And he has really paid off. I mean, this kid's, this kid's good. Yeah, his confidence came through, I think, this offseason, and he has fed off of that, especially after an up-and-down rookie campaign. Let's head back to the phone lines, 201-939-4513. Billy is in Middletown. Billy, what's happening? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. How are you guys doing? Doing well, Billy. What do you got for us? Hey, I love when you guys host the show. You guys got the chemistry of uh, Pesci and De Niro. I hope you guys <laughs> do <it for> that. <laughs> well, we appreciate that, Billy. I-, I love it how I had to be the small guy and uh, he had to be the veteran actor, but I'm not necessarily surprised. You're talking yeah. to me. <laughs> hey, we can make John Schmelt Henry Hill, you know. Well, we-, <laughs> we could go down that road. Some yes. of us would like to put him in witness protection. <laughs> Hey, uh, look, on a serious note, last week I was upset. I, I, I had called in, and, uh, you know, uh, the Saints spent the whole day giving us everything underneath, and I was upset that Schumer didn't pick them apart underneath and get them to creep up and then start taking the shots downfield. But I anticipate Carolina to do what works for the Saints, and that's give us everything underneath. And uh, hopefully Schumer adjusts and, you know, Saquon underneath, a lot of crossing routes, you know, 10, 15 yards, and just pick them apart, pick them apart in a short game. Well, I think that it's a copycat league, and I do think if you're Carolina, you're going to certainly look at what Dallas did, and you're going to look at what New Orleans did, because those were the two teams that took similar approaches, which was to keep everything in front of them. And like I said, I think Carolina is close to Dallas in terms of their linebacking core being a strong facet of their defense that could do a good job containing those players. But once again, if you're getting the dink and dunk style offense, Paul, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But what you can't afford to do is you get a penalty and you get backed up into a second and a third long, the dink and the dunk is is not going to get you anywhere. Look, I explained this yesterday on the program. I don't know if you were listening, but I was talking to Russ about this, and I said, here, one of of the main defensive coordinator philosophies against an offense that has had some troubles is to let them dink and dunk because if it takes them 11 plays to get into scoring range, you want them to maximize the number of plays per drive because chances are they will make a mistake and they will self-destruct. 
You don't want the Giants. If you're a defensive coordinator, you don't want the Giants to go on a six-play scoring drive. You want to force them to go 11, 12, 13 plays because sooner or later, they're going to commit a hold. They're going to drop a pass. They're going to get sacked. They're going to get seven yards on a loss, and that's going to short-circuit the drive. That's always the philosophy by a defensive coordinator against a struggling offense. Force them. Let them dink and dunk all they want. Force them to extend the drive so that sooner or later they self-destruct. Hey, Paul, Paul, uh, dink and dunk also get you ball control, and I called for that last week too. You know, you, uh, Cam Newton can't score if he's sitting on the bench. Yeah, but Billy, Run the ball. Billy, Run here, the ball. Billy, here's the thing, though, and I actually, Paul said the same thing on the pregame show last week, and my counter to that was, and I have no problem running the football, Billy, but... The bottom line is you could have a time of possession edge of 10 minutes over your opposition. If you don't punch it in and score touchdowns, Billy, mm-hmm. it's irrelevant. Right, right. It makes no it, difference. It. So the time of possession argument is great, but keeping Cam and Drew Brees on the sideline is fine. If they then go down and score in the blink of an eye, who cares that you monopolize the yeah, football? Yeah, but see, that's not the way that the Panthers' offense No, is it's different up. than the Drew Saints Brees. Is. I get that. I get that. The Panthers are not putting up pinball numbers offensively, so you absolutely can employ the time of possession ball control strategy. But yes, you must be efficient in scoring points when you have the opportunity. The good news is this is not going to be a track meet game. But they're very effective in terms of they can put together the lengthy drive and they can certainly punch it in. They've had a much better success rate in scoring touchdowns than Mm -hmm. the Giants did. So that's where you got to be careful. uh, Hey, Lance, defensively, defensively. Look, Jenkins, uh, all our corners, we need a big game because I think we have to play a lot of man because we need Landon Collins everywhere Cam Newton goes. Guess where you're going? You'd want to spy him then. Yeah. 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 I mean, we can't, you know, he might, you know, we got picked apart by Dak Prescott. Uh, we can't have Cam Newton pick us apart a little worse than he did. You know what? It's not a bad strategy to employ. Many coaches over the years have used spies on this kind of quarterback. Betcher earlier this year, when asked about a spy, seemed to be kind of queasy about it. Didn't seem to favor a spy in his playbook. It will be interesting to see if he decides to use one this week against Newton. But I don't get the impression that Betcher favors that part of the strategy. And Billy, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Let's head back to the lines. Tony is in D.C. Tony, what do you got for us? Man, I hate you guys so much. Well, the feeling's mutual, so now that we got that out there. You don't even know him. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, what am I supposed to respond? Yeah, I just took all the wins out of myself, but I do have a question and a comment. But, but man, Paul, you just took all the wins out of myself. I'm sorry, brother. (laughs) Okay, okay. So I just well, Tony, to we got that, a lot of other callers on the line. We'd be more than happy to move on to the next caller here. I'll make it fast. I'll make it fast. I'll make it fast because you took all my wins. I'll make it. I'll make it quick. I'll what do you got? Quick. So, the Giants right now we are at the bottom of the league, bottom five in running attempts. We're at eighty-two. Yeah. You're, you're leading teams, and I'm even. I'm even including the Patriots with an immobile quarterback. They're at one fourteen, one twenty, one ten. Even Kansas City's at one oh six. So we are already, in my humble opinion, at least 18 running attempts behind for this quarter, the first four games. Okay. we got to run the ball more. And you guys know that, so moving on. Okay. So with that said, and, and this is um, the, 
the issue – I want to talk about Eli. This is, this, this is the thing. So with Pat Shermer's offense, Paulie, you broke it down beautifully, and you're hoping for an adjustment, as am I. But so with that said, if Eli doesn't take the time or have the time to look for a second and third read, he will check down. We, we've seen it, and Eli was quoted yesterday saying, yeah. if it's double coverage, I'm not throwing it. But because he's throwing it too quickly, not so quick. See, so quickly can be a good thing. You can you can get rid of the ball so fast that they can't respond. Right. When you get rid of the ball too quickly, you cannot make a read. I I I do not believe for a second Eli is making any more than two reads tops. On I don't even think he's making that many when he's getting rid of the ball that fast. I think his first read goes and he looks for a check down and they're by the line of scrimmage. Well, and the stats. And the- yeah, you know? but you know what? I think it's important to understand something, that the quarterback is not going to be a maverick. And we've heard from Coach Shermer and Coach Shuler, the offensive coordinator, multiple times they are asking him to play the percentages. They are not asking yes. him to be reckless. We keep hearing, you want to be aggressive, but you don't want to be reckless. The, the, I, I'm simply going to compare it once again to Kevin Gilbride. You know, and there were so many foolish fans out there, and I'm going to say it flat out because he used to get destroyed on talk radio and on Twitter. Kevin Gilbride was a mastermind offensive coordinator who did take a lot more shots than people gave him credit for. He was aggressive. He did want to score points. He did believe in throwing the ball downfield. And people kept saying, kill drive, kill drive. No, no, that was that was not the case. Kevin wanted Eli to take like six shots a game downfield. And I think what has happened is, based on what the coaching staff has said to us, okay, that they would rather Eli play the percentages. And so when you hear Eli saying he's going to play the percentages, he's doing what he's told. And which is why I went on that rant earlier in this show and said it's time, perhaps, at least I know my Italian oregano is is up in a boil. I would say forget about what they're going to give you. Take what I want. That's I agree 1,000. Like I said, you take all my steam. So here's my question. I'll let you guys go. And and, And we're going to have to look at this as we go. It's And I don't like talking about players, but... But, 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 but I am going to talk about Eli on this one. I'm going to be really paying attention to him as a player. It's one thing to play football and to not like getting hit. It's a whole nother thing to be tired of getting hit. Now, I don't know where Eli is on that spectrum, but I'll play football and I'll box. When a player is tired of getting hit, and tired of running because those are the two things you must do in football. You mm-hmm. must run. You must hit. It's unavoidable. Right. You will get sacked. It, it will happen. Well, but now, I don't think there's don't evidence that he's fine. close to what you're indicating, perhaps, Tony, because I could point to the Cowboys game where he almost got his head ripped off, if you remember, and that yeah. was on a running play. And then in the Houston Texans game, a similar play, too, where he has actually embraced the physicality, and that's off a running play. That's not even in the pocket. So how, why would a quarterback be worried about that if he's taking it up the field himself? If, if you want a great example of a quarterback who doesn't want to get hit, go back and look at some Jets tape and Ken O'Brien. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to get touched by a feather. <laughs> no, no seriously. Like I, I think I he shied away from his sister's I mean, pillow fights, I mean, I th- to be I, honest I, with you. I think what we're trying to do at this point is 
People want more big explosive plays. I get that. So everybody's trying to find a reason why it's not happening. So now we're getting to the point where Eli perhaps doesn't want to embrace the physicality of football. And I'm not saying you're saying that exactly, Tony, but the, the fact that we're even having that conversation means I think we're getting away from what truly is the issue with the Giants offense. And listen, we're going to let you go on that note. Appreciate you, the Tony. phone call. I think yeah, that you, you can get explosive plays. I've said this, Paul. You don't have to throw the ball 40 to 50 yards down the field. And this is what Eli was talking with the media this week. You know, Odell Beckham, and this was brought up actually today when Odell spoke I to know. the media. He was reminded of the Baltimore game. The Ravens game, if you remember, a few years ago. And those mm-hmm. two explosive touchdowns that he had were on slant plays. Yes, they were. Now, granted, there were some breakdowns with the Ravens. You had a, a corner or a safety slip. I get that. Against single high coverage. Correct. The, the coverage was different. So now, all of a sudden, defenses are now throwing you a different curveball. Oh, we can't use single high anymore because Odell's going to kill us. Exactly. So now it's a matter <laughs> of, okay, what can you do to adjust to that? But you can still... To me, it's a myth that the only way to get big explosive plays, though, Paul, is to throw 30 to 40 yards down the field. You can throw a 10-yard pass or a 5 or a 6-yard pass can and get a lot of yardage after the catch. The percentage may not be in your favor, but it can happen. I mean, I, we're, we're almost getting to the point where the well, whole conversation is if you don't throw 40 yards down the field, you're not going to get a big pass. But they've tried to go that way, and to this point, how many times have Giants receivers been able to break it for big yak yardage after one of those 15-yard throws? It hasn't happened. No, you're right. I mean, even if you look at Odell Beckham, he's been limited in terms of his opportunities. He's averaging, what, 11 yeah. yards a catch? And that would be a guy. Or is it even that high now? I'd have to double check. I'm not but even I, sure I think where it, it may even be in that vicinity, what you're referring to. So, Which for him is just incredibly low. Well, I think over time, defenses were tired of seeing him break away for that one big explosive play that dramatically changed games. So now, defenses are of the mindset, and I don't blame them. They're basically saying, let Sterling Shepard go out and catch 10 passes for 80 yards and see if the Giants can beat us. Right. Let's see if Saquon Barkley can get that 68-yard rushing touchdown every single game. Wouldn't you do that, though, if you're a defensive coordinator playing oh, absolutely. the Giants ball? I mean, I would absolutely try to which take is Odell why, out of the game. Which is why I'm trying to tell you that the, the Italian strong-arm way, take what I want, has got to be the new philosophy if you're going to break these teams out of their shell. Well, meaning because you right be now the they're dictating. Saying. They're dictating half of the Giants' playbook. But I also agree that at the same time, yes, you could be more aggressive. For example, Eli threw down the left sideline in the last game to Russell Shepard. Yes. And he was being defended by Marshawn Lattimore. So, I mean, they took a shot. It wasn't necessarily the ideal circumstance. I think that was the only deep shot they took all game. I'd have to go back and look. No, you may be right. I'm not saying that you're wrong. So, yeah, you want to see some of the at-bats, the opportunities increase. But I also don't love the philosophy, well, you know, let's take a page out of the Deshaun Watson-Houston Texans playbook, Paul, which is DeAndre Hopkins' double team down the right sideline, but let's throw it up because the chances are DeAndre's going to make a play on the football. And then, all of a sudden, Eli Manning's interceptions increase, and then what are you left with? Now you're putting your defense in a precarious spot. So you always have to weigh the pros and cons of that. And here's another thing. Let's not forget, Pat Shermer comes from a Minnesota team where Case Keenum was his starting quarterback last year. And what was the issue with Case Keenum in years prior, Paul? Protecting the football, whether it be lost fumbles or interceptions. His sample size was small because he wasn't a starter every single season. Pat Shermer got him through a season where he only had seven interceptions. Mm -hmm. That's impressive given Case Keenum's track record. So, you know, I could see that same philosophy being preached to Eli Manning. 
you know, we want you to finish up the season below 10 interceptions. Now the question is, okay, you're on pace for that, but then how do you now work in more shots, whether it be three or four more shots over the course of a game? That's where they need to get to. Well, look at it this way. Until they command respect as an offense and until they can go out there on a couple of Sundays and take what they want, teams will not change. They will continue to throw the same shell, soft zone, too deep out there week after week after week after week. Now, if you attack and take what you want and make them change and make them adjust, now they're on their heels. Now they're not sure what you're going to do. Maybe a month down the road, you can either play it safe and go nickel and dime and 